I, I like that intro. I just that's oh, it speaks to me. Travel back in time to the '80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples—it's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the '80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring? If everybody had a 12 gauge and a surfboard too, the same shooting and serving, because it's totally vision, riding waves to blast their visions, and it's so neat shooting ski while you're riding on the heavies all day. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's Spearsy. And Brad, back in New York again. And today we take a look at the new documentary out about one of our decade's most intriguing actors. It's our tribute to Val Kilmer. You see, Mitch, I used to be you. And uh, lately I've been missing me, so I asked Hathaway if I could room with me again, and he said, sure. So put all your stuff away in the bottom drawer there, shirts, pants, shoes. I had a little trouble with the sports jacket, so I threw it out. Listen to me, Steve. I'm not the first podcaster who fell in love with Patreon in order for listeners to support our show, only to find out it's run by a woman that he met at a restaurant who turns out to be the daughter of a kidnapped scientist, only to lose her to her childhood lover, who she last saw on a deserted island, who then turned out 15 years later to be the leader of the French underground. But at least I found out before I went to patreon.com slash stuckinthe80s podcast. I know. It, it all sounds like some bad movie. Hey, everyone. Kind of a different podcast for you this week. Brad uh, is obviously back in New York, right, Brad? It's true. In 24 hours, I'll be there myself. <gasps> really? Ooh. Yes. Come so, see me sometime, sailor. So we have like finite time to record one last show apart before we record our next show, uh, another change-up show together. Our triumphant return to Together podcast recording. That's I've, right, bitches. It's coming. I've been trying to avoid uh, corned beef and pastrami in anticipation of our Sarge's Deli Feast. Oh. Now you're speaking my language. So somewhere along the way, we came up with this idea. We keep, we keep getting these emails about the new documentary on Amazon Prime, and it's simply called Val. Yeah. And it came out, I don't know, oh, probably the beginning of August is my bet. I got to tell you, it wasn't on my radar. I got that email from Dave Parrott. How you doing, Dave? Asking if we'd seen it. And I thought to myself, this is probably something I want to watch just because... Maybe a year or two ago, there was a big article on him in... I think it was New York Times Magazine. Yeah, I think so. I wanted to say that. I wasn't sure if it was Vanity Fair, but it was a big, long profile on him and what he's been doing. And I thought, okay, this could be pretty interesting. The reason I kind of resisted is I think most people know by now that Val Kilmer has been fighting throat cancer for a while. Yeah. He doesn't speak with a... uh, I guess what you call a natural voice right now. He has a, you know, a hole in his throat that he has to cover. He has to decide whether he wants to breathe, eat, or talk, but he can't do all three of them at the same time. Can't do two. Got to pick one. Yeah. There's something to me about when you see someone who's approximately your age, I I think Val is pretty close to our age. When you see someone fighting something like that and you see them struggling with something like that and you have it, 
you know, affect other people close to your, to you and your family that you don't exactly want to jump in with, you know. Yeah. It's a little close to home. Yeah. It's a little close to home for sure. And and you're right because there's this, there's something about him that, you know, he sounds, he's getting the words out and he seems to be living a life that he's okay with. And that's great. But at the same time, you, you listen to him and you see him and you're just like, Oh man, what, yeah. what, how did we get here? So here's what's interesting about the movie. And here's what eventually turned me on to watching it. And I think this is what Brad and I will both say to you that the, the most appealing part of this movie was that Val Kilmer pretty much owned a video camera before anybody else he knew. And he took thousands of hours of videos about his childhood. You name it. Yeah. College career his beginning of his career. There's, shots from him on backstage at Top Gun. There's shots of him in his Juilliard classes. It's fascinating. The amount of material. I I accidentally today, I was describing it to someone and I said it was a found footage movie. And then I had to stop and correct myself. No, this footage wasn't found. Val knew exactly where it was at all times. Yeah. What's interesting is it's narrated by his son, Jack, whose voice comes across like a 20 year old Val Kilmer. Yeah, it's a. I'm just gonna say I found that a little. I don't want to say jarring, maybe disconcerting. Like it was just, I. It was good. It was in a good way, but there was something about it that was just kind of, oh, it just almost upsetting. I I didn't feel that way. I thought it was nice. I, I would rather have Jack narrate most of it than, than some third party, or to hear. I totally Val's agree. Voice. I totally agree. And I think actually it really does. It amps up the, the emotional impact of the picture when you realize that it's his son doing it. So, so let me ask you this, Brad. What was the first movie you remember seeing that had Val Kilmer in it? Uh, probably Top Secret. Yeah. The, the way that his movie career intersects with his stage career in the documentary is pretty fascinating because he, he was an actor who took himself very seriously. Yeah, I did not realize that or didn't remember that until you get about five minutes into this. He repeats these mantras throughout the movie that kind of underscore where he's coming from, how much he believes in the craft. Early on, he says, if you believe in something enough, it becomes real. Talking about his acting career and his desire to to become to, a, uh, yeah, actor. not play these characters, not occupy these characters, but to be these characters. Right. And I, I guess that's method acting, essentially. Essentially. And, uh, and I can see how that would work sometimes and other times make directors absolutely batshit crazy. Of course, of course. Um, there's another quote that he gives early on where he says, what we strive for as actors is a performance so true that the audience sees themselves in it, good, bad, or ugly. I mean, he really does come across as a real student, like a lifelong student of acting. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And the, the footage really speaks to that. Yeah. So what you'll see if you watch it, you see, you'll see him backstage with Kevin Bacon and Sean Penn for a uh, Broadway play that they did together. <laughs> oh, that's just such a great story how he's... he's oh, hey, I signed the lead. This is great. And the producers call and say, mm, we're going to need to move you down a tick. Uh, Kevin Bacon's available. Okay. You know, and then next week, another call. Mm, we're going to have to move you down another tick. Uh, Sean Penn's available. Mm, okay. It's interesting. I mean, you talk about 
where actors fell along the way as far as when they peaked. I mean, obviously Kevin Bacon got a head start on everybody because he was in Animal House. Sean Penn at this point, the early 80s, would he have already he would have probably done taps. Yeah. He wouldn't have maybe been in fast times at that point. Yeah, I don't know. And it's interesting because in the documentary, Val talks about how his goal was not to be a movie star. His goal was to be a Broadway actor. Yeah. So as he goes through the 80s, which obviously was the part of that I initially thought I'd be most interested in, he does talk about the movies. Most of, some of the time, I say most of the time, some of the time, <laughs> real genius, which I think I know, I know that's one of your favorites, Brad. Oh, I love it. I absolutely I, love that movie. I don't think it gets mentioned for more than 10 seconds. It's, there's a little bit of footage that shows up in it. But yeah, yeah there's much more time spent on uh, Top Secret, in which yeah. he's angry that he learned how to play the guitar and then the director wanted him to fake it. There's a few nice moments about Top Gun where it shows them arriving on set and backstage with his fellow actors and how they would try where, where he consciously tried to form a rivalry with Tom Cruise to make the on-screen chemistry feel more realistic. I have to say, I like Top Gun better knowing that he had in mind a backstory for this character. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of stuff that turns my crank. I'm like, Ooh, the secret knowledge. Ooh, Hey, what so, motivates this guy? He talks about, filming audition tapes for directors that he wanted to work with. There's all this footage of him acting out scenes from full metal jacket or acting, acting like a Marine Corps recruit right? to try to impress uh, the director. There's scenes of him trying to be Henry Hill from Goodfellas to get a role in that movie. Narrator so, voice. Did it work? It did not work. <laughs> and Val continued shooting video with his camcorder. Yeah. When we sat down to talk about doing a podcast about this documentary, one of the first things that came to my mind was we got to do a top 10 list or a top five list of Val Kilmer movies. And I think the one thing that the documentary taught me was that you can't make a list like that. It's hard because his work is so it's varied. The roles are a little all over the place. I mean, is it really fair to put top secret and tombstone next to each other, any place, but alphabetical order. Yeah. You've got, Top Secret and Real Genius. So those right. kind of belong to each other. You have Willow, which one could argue kind of almost belongs with those first two because it's not the most serious movie you'll ever see. No. You have The Doors, where he plays a real-life character, Jim Morrison, along with Tombstone, where he plays a real-life character, Doc Holliday. Yeah. Mm. You, have, you have The Saint in the late 90s, where he basically is remaking a role, I believe, that Roger Moore did in the 60s. and On TV. On yeah. TV. That's another one, by the way. If I were trying to rank them, I'd, where do I put The Saint? I love The Saint. I don't think I've ever seen it. How is it? I like it. Is it worth a look? Yes. It, but is it Tombstone or The Doors? No, that's the problem. It's, not, it's, it's none of these other movies. Yeah, it's the little brother to those movies. Yeah, well, it's, it's not even the little brother. It's just... When you're dreaming of like what you want to be, be something like if you could be anything you wanted to be, like pro sports player or a, a, a you know a stadium podcaster, <laughs> that's not one of the things that comes to mind. You know, a musician who sells out stadiums. The thing that comes to mind with acting is I'd want to be if I were ever an actor, I'd want to have the kind of career where I could do like something of everything. Like I want to do a war movie. Okay, you get to do Top Gun. I want to be. Uh, I want to do a Western, even okay, though Steve hates Tombstone. Westerns. 
Tombstone. I love I love Tombstone. Uh, well, you know, I want to take on a legendary pop culture figure who's never quite been adequately represented on film. Okay, you can be Jim Morrison in The Doors. Uh, yeah, uh, when I, you I say work. it like that, it's amazing, yeah. right? Oh, and by the way, while I'm at it, let, let's let's do like a fantasy action flick with Ron Howard. Okay, you're Willow, you know, yeah, and like, some goofy comedies. Okay, yeah. and we're bearing the lead. He was Batman, at least for one movie. Yeah, I thought that section of the of the documentary was really interesting. Yeah. He says in the in the documentary, every boy wants to be Batman, but nobody wants to play him. <laughs> he goes into a lot of detail explaining why it was such a miserable role for him to play. He jumped yeah. at it because everybody Batman. Was Batman. Hello, Batman. Well, he talks about like meeting Adam West as a kid and all that. Yeah. But it, the suit plays you. You don't play the part. The first half of this of this movie is more or less joyous to watch. What's really happening is it's it's like there's one film crew following Val Kilmer as Val Kilmer looks at the footage of his life. And so at the time where his health starts to decline and starts to affect who he is, the the movie goes as I expected, a little dark. Yeah. But it doesn't end that way. It doesn't stay there. It doesn't yeah. stay there. The website Vulture had a really smart review of Val saying that there's definitely a dark side to this actor, this human being. And it said, quote, as an actor, Kilmer has to live with the image of what he once was. And it's not exactly easy at a special outdoor screening of Tombstone in Texas, which is a great scene, by the way. He gets frustrated that he can never escape these old movies. Then he hears the crowd's cheers and feels their love, and he is moved. He's like a prisoner who has to find ways to free his spirit, unquote. Mm, Yeah, it's so true. You can see him struggling with it. What struck me about this part of the movie and then reading this quote in Vulture is when not to make it a personal thing, but why not? We've got a podcast. It's a podcast. There's no script in front of us. It's at least a little bit about us, Steve. (laughs) People ask all the time, you know, why don't you get more actors to be on the show? Why don't you get so-and-so and and -and so-and-so? And I always have the same response, which is 95% of the time, actors really don't want to go back and talk about their old movies. They don't love it like we love it. The only time you can get them to do it is if they are currently supporting or promoting an anniversary edition of a movie. <laughs> that makes it sound so crass, but it is really kind of true. Uh, yeah. You know, they're the, well, we talk about this all the time. You're right. It's changing a little bit with the 80s. Molly Ringwald used to hate getting questions about John Hughes. When I interviewed her the first time, you could just hear the eyeballs oh, oh, click yeah. in her head. And, and I mean, the definition of prickly. People like Andrew McCarthy never wanted to talk about the 80s, but he just put a book out about it. And, and, and I guess to finish my thought about Molly Ringwald, a couple of years ago, she did a tour on one of the anniversaries of Breakfast Club. And she, she went to screenings and she went to Q&As. I, were they incredibly revealing? And, and no. <laughs> of course not. They're promotional appearances. Even John Cusack, who is probably the most diehard 80s hater out there, has been doing tours where he's going to screenings of Say Anything and answering questions and, you know, 
from what I can only gather, begrudgingly sitting for photographs with fans who probably paid like two hundred dollars to get their photo taken with them. But yeah, I don't mean to. I'm not trying to dis. You know, any of them, no pay or even people who get, you know, photos that they paid for you. It's supply and demand. And if you want it and you have the money, then you should should get it. Absolutely get it. Yeah. But when you see Val Kilmer, who's someone who's it's he's trapped in his own body. Yeah, that's a really good description. The only way of escaping it is by watching these old movies. Who he really is. Yeah. You feel for him there's a point about two thirds of the way through the movie where I started to think this is not a moment to be sad at where Val Kilmer is, but a moment to be happy with the life that he led. Yeah. And that's a hard place to get to. I, you know, I think it will be for us someday too. (laughs) I've been limping around the house now for three days with, with a one, a bad right knee and a sore left foot. Sounds like a tumor. (laughs) It's not a tumor. I've been cursing myself. Like you've got this body that's just starting to give out on you. And, and, and I'm being overly dramatic. I probably did. I probably overdid something and that's <laughs> what I overdid on my foot. I have no idea, but my knee, I think I, I, I wrecked it going to the gym too many times, but oh. which were for me is, you know, too many times is like two. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a too many times. It's right but, there in the, in the but I, I say that and then I watch the Val Kilmer documentary and, I'm, and I just want to punch myself for like being so, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I think you see in this movie and I mean, I, you're kind of familiar with the arc of Val Kilmer's life that he was you know, married and had a couple kids and then, you know, then he wasn't. And he talks a little bit in the movie about how his wife, tried to be on board with the way he approached playing Jim Morrison. And it just sounds like it was tough. Yeah. Playing doors music 24 seven, you know, yeah. doing nothing but watching footage of Morrison trying to ape every little movement. Yeah. I, I'm sure it was tough. That would not. Yeah. I would be in the other room or house or continent. By the way, when I was researching the, the list of best movies, a lot of people gave a lot of love to a movie from I think it was 95 or 96 called Heat. Mm, did, yeah. Did, did you see it? I don't think I've ever seen it. I, I mean the cast is amazing. For years I this I'm going to I'm going to sound like a complete total f-ing idiot here. Well, I, I first never time get, for everything. I don't normally get bleeped in the show, but for some reason I had confused Heat with the 300 other movies that involved the word heat, like red heat, hot shots, red Dawn, city hall, hot shot. I had in my mind was believing that it was a bad movie. It wasn't worth watching. But then as I read all the reviews, I realized I'm an idiot. It's a Michael Mann movie. (laughs) How Mm. bad could it be? And so I I took time out today to watch that and to watch his performance in it, where he's just a supporting actor. It's not a major, it's not a major role, but it's brilliant. (laughs) And then you just, you just, you knock yourself for like you've this is movie you could have been watching for 30 years now but nope i finally see it today and then this subtle performance of his that just shows you even when his career was really not a headlining career anymore he could still turn into such a great performance uh, yeah i mean as you said earlier he was a student of the craft and he was not going to phone anything in i don't think it's in his 
in his DNA to do that. He's going to take it seriously and step up. The other thing that occurred to me towards the end of the of the movie, before he finds out how sick he is, he's touring this Mark Twain show, one man show, and he shoots some stuff. Or there's some stuff in the in the movie that he shot of him in, you know, the full Twain regalia with the you know prosthetic thing and the white hair and everything and he doesn't break character for a second he's at his own house and he's still mark twain (laughs) and i just thought this guy is not he's never gonna not be mark twain when he's got all that stuff on yeah it's funny um i remember when he was doing the mark twain bit and he had filmed something that he was touring with and he came through orlando and you could for a price go and see the screening of this Mark Twain project. And then he was going to be there to answer questions, presumably, huh. and possibly, you know, depending on your VIP level, you could probably get a ticket, uh, a photo with him. You could go have pizza with him. And I remember sitting here and I think it was happening like 10 miles from my house. And huh. what did, it's what about did I eight do? miles too far? Yeah. It's like, what, what did I do? I did not go. Well, you know, and I like the Mark Twain bit. I saw how Holbrook, do his Mark Twain Tonight performance. I saw it in the 80s, actually. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's when he was doing it. I even dressed as Mark Twain for a Halloween party once. And everyone thought I was Colonel Sanders. <laughs> you should have put down the chicken, son. There's a photo of me that I have in one of my photo albums where it's me dressed as Mark Twain, and I'm holding the Hal Holbrook album of Mark Twain Tonight. And nice. still people are like... People still didn't get it. Like, what are you, old man, old man at a newsstand, yeah. old man looking for a record player. I don't get it. Anyway, it's. I'm glad our listeners asked our opinion. I don't think I would have watched it right away had they not. I give it a thumbs up. I think it's worth your time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think it's a, a thoughtful look at Val Kilmer's life and how he got where he is. You know what we're going to get to right now, though? Oh, <laughs> the, the Saggies. Ah, it's time for listener mailbag, which would help if I actually had written down listener mailbag. Steve <laughs> is a creature of habit, folks. And if it ain't there, he may not say it. Yeah. It's like people who read the prompter when it says, you have food in your teeth. Oh, I'm not <laughs> supposed to say that? You've done that to me a couple of times. I have. It's hilarious. Oh, it always makes me laugh. What's funny is when we first started doing this show 16 years ago, or even maybe for the first 10 years there were no real notes. Like I might have scribbled on a piece of paper what, who the winners were when we right. finally got around to it. But for the most part, it was it was there was no outline. There was no. It was just kind of like well, free flowing. Do you remember watching Fast Times Richmond High? Yeah, it was cool. And Phoebe Cates gets out of the pool. Brad's everywhere. Celebrate. We have that shirt, by the way. I think I said that oh. on a previous podcast. The, the Phoebe Cates shirt. With the from, pause bar in the strategic yeah, location. We sold so a band from public places while wearing it. Yeah. I have I ever owned it. I don't think so, but I know we sell a lot of them at our store. Anyway, uh, we had a letter this week from Lynn with three ends in Nebraska. And because I was overdoing it with the talk, talk the first half of the show, Brad gets to exercise his, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, Brad gets to exercise his oral skills now. <laughs> Let me rephrase that a little bit. There'll be no oral. No, sir. But I will read a letter. Are you ready? Thank you. Here we go. Lynn writes, Stephen Brad, I've enjoyed your ad jingle episodes for two reasons. It's fun to hear the ones I remember, 
and it's amusing to be reminded of the ones I have forgotten. I've even discovered a few new products I never knew existed. Fascinating how consumer tastes ebb and flow over time. I'm curious to know which ones he didn't know existed. Anyway, moving on. The one ad that came to my mind the other day while schooling my kids on some of these fun jingles was both the words music and body language dance for Ragu's Chicken Tonight. Mm. I'll send you the link to refresh your memory. It's so bad, it's good. Oh, as it turns out, that may be an early 90s thing. If that disqualifies the submission, so be it. Let's, pl- let's play it. Ragu introduces Chicken Tonight Simmer Sauces, and suddenly everybody's saying, I feel like chicken tonight, like chicken tonight. Chicken tonight! Choose from six new sauces. Each one's made with real vegetables and herbs, so you can make dishes like country French chicken and chicken cacciatore. Just brown the chicken, simmer, and serve. I feel like chicken tonight, like chicken tonight. New Chicken Tonight Simmer Sauces from Ragu. Chicken tonight! Lynn, <laughs> as punishment for subjecting me to that, you are disqualified. <laughs> but we'll still finish up the rest of your letter. Looking for products to buy in the 80s, Lynn with three ends in Nebraska. I remember this. I sing this from time to time when I make chicken. And, <laughs> and obligatory reference to future wife. She had never heard of it. So there you really? Go. No. Wow. Oh, these people are so cultured that they didn't watch crummy TV. She's never had a Pop-Tart either. <gasps> really? Oh, my gosh. That was Wait. one of my secret weapons at at camp is I would pack a box of Pop-Tarts and then people want to be your friend. Yeah. If I were to give her a Pop-Tart, should her first Pop-Tart be the obligatory frosted strawberry one? That's exactly what I was going to say. Frosted strawberry. Because the only reason she's even thinking about it is because there's a s'mores one now. Oh, no. But I'm like, you can't, you can't start with s'mores. You got to start with frosted strawberry. You can't, you can't be running before you even know how to crawl. You got to start frosted strawberry and you have to enjoy the overly shortening casing of it and the burn the roof of your mouth temperature of the <laughs> lava jam inside it. And that's all part of the experience, folks. Write in and tell me I'm wrong. I can tell you right now that my sadistic mother not only <laughs> refused to buy the frosted variety, I think she bought like an off-brand, like st- grocery store brand version of them. So, so Fun we, tarts. Yeah. So we get filled like, with 10% actual food. Like toaster pastry. You know, yeah. But, um, I'm going to try to get her to eat one in New York when when I'm there, but we'll see. I I don't know what the whole. Why would you object to something? So, but not. I've eaten gefilte fish because she wanted me to. Oh, she owes you. If you so, had gefilte fish, it's not bad. I mean, it's not, not something you're going to like. Come home, honey. You know what I'm hungry for for dinner is a big old plate of gefilte fish. I feel like gefilte fish tonight. Like gefilte fish tonight. I'm doing yeah, that. just. I'm doing the flap in the wings. Of course you are. It just doesn't flow though, right? (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, if you have a letter for us, uh, send it to podcast at sit80s.com. Hey, it's time for our old seggy with the new name. It's TV Party Tonight, which you also have to kind of say it that way. TV Party Tonight. Anyway, this is a seggy where we play a snippet of a theme song from a television show in the 80s. I think I actually got it on the first take this time. Oof. And if you get it right over the sound of my sucking wind as I try to talk for no reason tonight, 
we will send you a um, piece of swag, probably in the form of a postal friendly bottle opener. Are we caught up? Yeah. Last week when I was home in California, I mailed out everything. So if you haven't gotten one yet and you live in the continental United States, let us know. You're the stewed, ones- but wad. <laughs> Why does that make me laugh? I don't know. Anyway, cast your mind back to episode 608. It was a crisp fall day. <laughs> you borrowed 200 television shows from me because your girlfriend, Beth, said it was, I believe the word is tasty. <laughs> yeah. I love it when we finish each other's sentences. Here was the mystery theme song. Yep, that's the theme to Who's the Boss? There's a time for love and a time for living. Take a chance and face the wind. Brad, did you watch this show? No. <laughs> sounds sounds so robotic, as some people would say. Well, I am the Spock robot of the show, so. <laughs> did we talk about that? No, we didn't. Okay. Do should we? Uh, yeah, it's just worth a quick mention. We we guested on another podcast to talk about our memories of working in various uh, video rental type engagements and steve's stories were honestly 100 percent of my weren't. stories in that you, case because i worked in the, the video section of a big corporate electronic store but the guy whose podcast it was who asked us on said is a listener to the show and he said to me well since you're like the spock member of the you know the the rationological <laughs> spock member of the show and i just i grabbed onto that with both hands and my teeth i'm like that's me i'm just a podcasting robot beep bop boop boop beep it's um if you go to our Twitter account, I think it's also on our Facebook page. The podcast is called the Comeuppance Reviews Podcast, and we're on episode forty six. And there's a link right there, and we talked. Oh, we had a great time doing it. It was, a it was lot so of fun. much fun. And, yeah. and the the Spock robot Brad thing, I'm still laughing about it. That was hilarious. That was funny. Anyway, um, yeah, who's the boss? Future wife loves this show. She's upset that you can only see I think season one online. That it's like it's for some reason it's one of those shows that's really hard to. I don't know if they just didn't syndicate them out or they didn't turn them Oh, they DVDs. syndicated the hell out of this. It's, that's weird. I just weird. can't find them right now. Huh. Maybe it's on Pluto TV or something like that. Some some goofy like Roku channel that, you know, I, I never monitor. Anyway, we fooled nobody. And it is with yes. great joy that I pass it off to Brad to read some of the winners. Ever thoughtful. That's Steve Spears. Many people wanted to know if we intentionally were following a Tony Danza show with a Tony Danza show. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Really? I thought that was the whole play. No, the whole play was that she's, she just wanted me to use it. Ah, okay. I got you. That makes sense. Many other people were <laughs> basically theorizing that we were trying to break the internet by our reading of this list, which will take about 10 minutes. So pour yourself a refreshing beverage, sit back, and here we go. Winners this week include the Tromboner, John Ross from Charlotte, North Carolina, Jason in Memphis, Brian Quickdomaga. Lito in Austin, Stephen Ventura, Eric Miller, Alan Titus, Carol Parrott, Joseph Perdue, Todd in Minnesota, Chris living in the air in Cincinnati, Adams, Gamecock Mitch, John in LA Center, Kentucky, Dave De La Dirt, Kevin, if you can dodge a wench, 
Sweet Caroline with a K, not just another Michael Hayes. Jeremy, who shot J.R. Rodwan in St. Pete, Florida? Anita the Librarian in St. Paul and McNally. Victoria not in Big Bear, now at the beach. Boy, I'm getting tired of reading all these dang names. Hutto <laughs> Hippo Him. Commodore 64 Will, whose name was drawn out of the bag by a computer last week. Jumpin' Joe in Michigan. Alan B. Mike, you can roll a roller, formerly from the Slotes. Todd Cunningham. Ann in NorCal. Colin Hall. Brian in San Francisco, Jesse Elgato Grande Smith, Paul Dansman in South Dakota, Brian in Redneck Rapids, North Carolina, Matt D in Oregon, Peter Montreal correspondent Ryan, Anfield Albert, Tom Corn in Austria, Brian in Columbus, Ohio, and Cincinnati Joe. Wow. One other thing I will point out, many, if not all, of the male respondents to this question expressed a great deal of attraction for one of the young female stars of this TV show. Yes. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Google it if you must. Well, I guess unlike last week's show, we'll actually spin the wheel and choose a winner. You ready? Might as well. Uh, here we go. I mean, can I'm I spin it this good. time? Can I spin Why it? don't you spin it, Steve? I yeah, never you, get to spin it. You ready? spin the wheel. Ah. Oh, with your bad knee, you shouldn't be spinning anything. Got a weird uh, sort of chemical imbalance going between uh, whiskey and barbiturates. Gatorade, ze- <laughs> Gatorade Zero. Anyway. Oh, uh, uh, you know what, Steve? In spite of all that, it seems like the wheel is slowing down. Mm, looks like it's going to stop on Colin Hall. Colin, send us your postal friendly mailing address and we'll drop a postal friendly bottle opener in the mail to you the next time we, the royal we, are in California. You know, by the way, you should follow Colin Hall. I don't know if you follow Colin Hall on Facebook. You're not really on Facebook anymore, are you? No, I'm really not. He's got some really great memes in there that I've been stealing and using elsewhere. So. Excellent. Just you know what they say, Steve? Good artists copy, but great artists steal. Well, I've been stealing. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's Mystery TV theme song. If you know it, did Tony Danta do a third series in the 80s if so it's tempting <laughs> if you know it email us at podcast at com. i felt good it feels like the old days and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner we'll be right back after this commercial break anytime pop touch pop up people pop up Hey, we're back. We got a few minutes left. Let's do something we haven't done in a while. Let's play What's Your 80s Obsession? Brad, what's your 80s obsession? Well, Steve, I'm still coming down off of this one. A couple weeks ago now, I posted a Spotify playlist, which I'm calling a mixtape, on our blog at sit80s.com. And I got to tell you, I spent uh, a better part of three weeks just kind of hammering out the songs and getting the playlist the way I want it, getting the order the way I wanted it, and kind of trying to figure out if there's any narrative that I could use to tie songs together. I had a great time doing it, but now I just, that's the only thing I'm listening to over and over and over again. You'd think I'd be getting sick of it after a month, but <laughs> not so much. 
That's that's pretty good. I you mentioned blog at sits.com. It's funny. I was I had a weird dream about this the other night. Was it a dream where you see yourself standing in sort of sun god robes on a pyramid with a thousand naked women screaming and throwing little pickles at you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why am I the only person that has that dream? Where I had restarted the blog because for the most part it's just a collection of our podcast. It's mainly point. just the podcast. Occasionally we'll post something there. Yeah. But in the old days, I stuck in the eighties which began as a podcast. Everyone thinks it began as a blog. It began as a podcast. I used to write in the blog like five times a day. So Yeah, there was a lot of traffic there. It was great. Yeah, I, I stopped doing that. I largely curbed back on that when I moved to Orlando like nine years ago. And I haven't really picked it up ever since then. I, I did it for a few years because the, the old newspaper was still paying me for it. So I would put stuff in there that was more newsy, like, oh, there's going to be a sequel to Top Gun or, oh, you know, it's... 40th anniversary of Greece kind of thing. But I, I had a weird dream that I had restarted it and people enjoyed it and I actually enjoyed writing it. So oh, nice. Which, which for me is actually a nice dream because normally the, the crap that goes through my head in the middle of the night is not good stuff. So um, it was nice uh, to have a pleasant dream. Anyway, uh, so I, I, I think that I might try, you know, time permitting to see if I can't put stuff there more often. Is start it spinning up the machine a little bit more often. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, my 80s obsession is trying to read the Stephen King sh- short story, Stand By Me, which I guess was called The Body. Yes, that's correct. So I am reading it very, very slowly. And I better pick up my pace because the entire point of doing this is that we're trying to do a podcast. You're not doing mark- it for fun, damn it. <laughs> to mark the... 35th anniversary of the movie. Actually, actually, the 35th anniversary of the movie just passed. We're trying to get it out in time for Labor Day, which is when, of course, the story of the movie takes place. Because that's so meta. We're very meta <laughs> here at Stuck in the 80s. They're going to they're gonna make a whole new meta award for us if we pull this one off. So anyway, that's, that's what I'm slowly doing. And I've never read Stephen King before. Really? Nothing at all? Nothing at all. And mm. so it's just like, you know, doing jumping jacks for the first time. I'm still kind of you know, figuring it out, finding your way, which would explain the knee and the foot, by the way. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I, I mean, I've read like the dark tower series. I really enjoyed, but that's the, yeah. the beginning and the end of my Stephen King until I read this short story as well. Right. And I, without any spoilers, <laughs> it's really good. It is Stephen really King good. is a really good writer. We'll talk some more about it when we talk about that show, but yeah, I'm just impressed at how tight the writing is. Indeed. Oh. It's sparkling. In the meantime, please consider spending an evening, maybe not a weekend evening, maybe more. It feels like a, feels like a Thursday night kind of thing. Watching the Val documentary, it's on Amazon Prime. If you don't have Amazon Prime, I'm find sorry. a friend, get their password. <laughs> yeah, and then order some stuff while you're on there. Yeah, have it delivered to you, which is doable, I think. Totally within the realm of possibility, <laughs> if not the realm of legality. As Val Kilmer would say, it's a moral imperative. Uh, I see what you did there. In the meantime, Brad, myself, and the 80s version of our beloved Val Kilmer, we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. There's danger on the edge of town. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. Where it's
seems inside the gold mine. 